0: So the music that you hear in the background of today's podcast is one of Jason Kuntz's arrangements that he had made um, for the 2017 Labrie Steel Pan and Brazilian Percussion Workshop in St. Lucia.
1: Welcome to The Brazilian Beat, episode 66. Join us as we get to know the Brazilian percussion music making community, one interview at a time. This is Diana. And this is Courtney. Hello, Diana. Hello. Happy <laughs> month into the quarantine, isn't it? <laughs> Happy May 1st. More than a month. Yeah. How are is you? This May? Is this May Day? Is this May it May is first? May Day. Day. Yeah. May 1st. Sweet. Yeah. So we get like a pole out. The Maypole. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going on, Courtney? Not much. I am uh,
0: making videos and doing some things and having fun and yeah, making plans for the future. How about you? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I was just on, there was a YouTube live of Shanji G. Pilates and there was a pagogi session. And so there was a lot of friends that were on there and I kept getting comments on different, on WhatsApp and on Facebook, so that was kind of fun to get all that and everybody's watching at the same time.
0: Yeah, I was on a phone call during this whole thing and I came back to a WhatsApp (laughs) Pagogi group that Diane and I are both in and there was 50 messages, (laughs) (laughs) like nonstop. We were having fun. What happened to you guys? (laughs) I missed something.
1: We were interacting. (laughs) So those kind of things are fun to do, you know, since I don't get to see anybody except my husband, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's good.
0: Good things. Uh, yeah, I'm still working Go Samba. So everybody, if you need drums, if you decided to pick up a new instrument or you want to get a like real instrument from Brazil, check out GoSamba.net. There's a bunch of instruments that are up there. Straps, sticks, drums. Go check it out at GoSamba.net. Also, another thing that I've been doing is doing some online lessons, and so we would like to tell you guys about four people, four awesome people in Brazil who are doing lessons that you all, if you don't know about them already, you should.
1: Because we talk about them all the time.
0: <laughs> well, we talk about them all the time, that's true. Um, Mestre Junior Sapaio, um, he's not super well known in the United States, but um, we interviewed him episode 54, I think, and... Uh, he is a wonderful force in Brazil in the batucada scene. He's teaching lessons online. You can contact him through Instagram or you can contact him through WhatsApp +5521964377180. So definitely check him out. He can teach pretty much everything it's he's an amazing amazing force and it's awesome that now he's teaching lessons online and he you can also pay him um online so made it really easy also um big friend of the podcast big personal friend of, of diana and me dudu fuentes is also teaching lessons online and has a <laughs> um, i've been taking a couple of those they're super fun um and uh, you can contact him through instagram um, that's probably the best way to get a hold of him. You can also contact him through Facebook. He's pre- he's super responsive. and um,
1: Yeah, you can do lessons. A lot of people in Portland are doing lessons with him. Are they group lessons or are they individual as well? Individual lessons. Mm. Also, we have uh, Mesty Ailton Nunez, um, also a guest on the show. He is doing uh, lessons, anything you want, pagaji, samba, bateria, uh, you can just contact him. I have all the information. I'll repost on our Facebook page. Uh, this is
0: your chance, everybody, to take a lesson with... With the like, real a, deal. A huge, a huge, huge mestre in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Huge mestre in Rio.
1: So I'll post, repost that. Um, and also my mestre and friend from Hesifi Pitoco Giaira, who is one of the contra mestres from Maracatu Nassau Estrela Brillante. He is doing... Um, also doing online lessons so contact him if you want to know get to know Maraka too call all the all the rhythms from the northeast he's a great teacher and um, he's been to the US several times and kind of knows how to how to teach people here he knows a lot of us so please reach out uh, these folks really um, need to keep working you know a lot of them have had their tours and um, workshops canceled because of everything going on. So this festivals, is festivals they were going to do. Yeah, that. Exactly. So this is how they're making a living. So if you could contribute, contribute by taking lessons, that would be great. Yeah. And these are people, this, these aren't,
0: yeah, these are, what am I trying to say? These are top of the field. Should, yeah. should we say these are the the best of the
1: best. So definitely check those out. And all of these folks have been guests of ours on our show, so mm-hmm. go back and listen to their, their stories because it's pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, they're amazing people. And um, we will also put links on uh, to, to these lessons and how to get a hold of them on
1: our website. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to either Courtney or I. Mm-hmm. Yep. So on the show today, we
0: uh, talked to uh, Dr. Jason Kuntz. Uh, We met him, I met
1: him at Brazil Camp. Had you met him before? No, at at Brazil Camp as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we had a good conversation. So a little bit about Jason. Um, He has served as director of percussion studies at Eastern Kentucky University since 2000. He currently teaches applied percussion, percussion ensemble, percussion methods, music appreciation, world music, and he directs both the EKU Percussion Ensemble and the EKU Steel Band. He has traveled to perform and study world music and percussion in Europe, England, Holland, Switzerland, Japan, Taiwan, Trinidad, Africa, India, Indonesia, and Brazil. Uh, Jason Koontz has also performed with groups such as Global Rhythms, Blast, Labrie Steel Orchestra, Birdsong Steel Orchestra, Silver Stars Steel Orchestra, The Cincinnati Pops and Ballet Orchestras, Lexington Philharmonic, The Richmond Symphony, Lexington Theater, The Art of Rice Traveling Theater in Indonesia, Tonus Percussion Trio, uh, Resonance Percussion Sextet, The Star of Indiana Drum and Bugle Corps, Brass Theater, and Southwind Drum and Bugle Corps. He is currently the director of the Foster World Percussion Camp, He's the treasurer for the Kentucky chapter of the Percussive Arts Society, and he's a member of both the Percussive Art Society and the Kentucky Music Educators Association. Jason is endorsed as an educational artist by Vic Firth Incorporated, Pearl, and Coil Steel Drums. His compositions and arrangements for Steel, steel Band and Percussion Ensemble are published by Roloff Productions. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that before. Uh... Pan Rama Productions and Coil Steel Drums. I think this is our first person, Diana, that we've had on that was uh, sponsored by Pearl.
1: I believe so, yeah. I don't remember anyone else.
0: One of my first production, or one of my first um, percussion books was, was by Roloff
1: Productions. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'm sorry I wasn't able to make it to this. Um interview with jason and courtney um i was out sick that day so things happen and uh sorry jason we'll talk to you soon we missed you thanks <laughs> <laughs>
0: um yeah so i hope you guys enjoy this interview with jason and uh he's got uh good insights into what it's like to be a um, percussion you know a PhD in percussion and working at a university here in the United States while teaching um, this music from around the world. So I hope you enjoy it. Jason Kuntz, welcome to the Brazilian Beat. Thank you for taking the time to come on.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Unfortunately, we don't have Diana tonight. She's not feeling well. So um, well, it's just me. Just okay. me and you.
2: Wish her a safe, fast recovery.
0: Yeah. It's not COVID related, everybody. So, so, yeah. who? Um, so um, tell us about where you grew up and um, your first exposure to music and how you got involved.
2: Well, I, I grew up moving around quite a bit. My, my father was in the air force. So <clears throat> we were one of those families that kind of picked up and moved every four to five years. Mm. So we were in Texas and Florida and Illinois and Kentucky. And then I moved on to Ohio and West Virginia. And now I'm back in Kentucky where I've been teaching um, at Eastern Kentucky University for the past 20 years now. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Um, Musically speaking, I had an uncle that was in band and um, he had a couple drums in his basement, lent me a snare drum one day and I was hooked. So. That was probably you know ten or eleven. I had played right a little bit of guitar before that. Just had some lessons as a as a little kid, but didn't really pursue it or do anything uh, substantial with it. So, but yeah, I was hooked on percussion from about the age of you know eleven, ten, eleven, and just went through kind of the normal you know school training with band and jazz band and orchestra and. Concert band and
0: marching. Did you marching? Marching band, band drum mm-hmm. line.
2: I was in drum corps, and um, yeah, I did,
0: saw you had Star of Indiana on your
2: yeah, Star of Indiana. And <clears throat> I marched another smaller corps before that called Southwind. So mm-hmm. I did my spent plenty of time on a bus and sleeping on gym floors. Yep, but that was great training. I mean, you know, it's hard to. um it's hard to get that amount of training in that short amount of time um, in any other activity, since you're just kind of living it, you know, for eight right. months a year. Right. <clears throat> but yeah, so that's, that's kind of how it started.
0: Yeah. Very cool. What did you play in drum corps?
2: Uh, I was in the snare line for the three years that I marched, I marched two years at, um, at the smaller corps and two years at Star Indiana. So I was on snare for four right years. Right on. Yeah. Very cool. And we went. Actually, there was one year um, where the core started a started a, a performance group called um, Brass Theater, which later became Blast.
0: Okay, that, and, that's uh, when they know, stopped doing the field show, right, and started doing all right stage. Right,
2: they went exactly. They went to an indoor kind of format. Yeah. And that was a that was a really cool experience for me um, because I, you know, as a as a Music major in college, and you know, kind of trying to diversify my portfolio, so to speak, as musically speaking. Um, you know, it's great to march drum corps and be in drum line, but having this opportunity to the brass theater thing was cool because we got to play all the percussion instruments. Mm. So, you know, I was playing timpani and keyboards and auxiliary instruments, and we would march parade, so I'd get the snare drum back on. And, and we were touring with a, another percussion group called Nexus. I don't know if you're familiar no, with Nexus, huh? but. <clears throat> they're kind of old guard, um, old school, um, quartet percussion quartet that was really, um, influential to a lot of the, the professional percussionists nowadays. So, um, they were on tour with us. So we got to kind of wrap with them and hang out and, and, you know, kind of pick their brain on things, which was hmm. really invaluable as a young musician. Yeah, yeah
0: really. <clears throat> so I saw that show, I don't know what year it was, but, um, I saw that in, uh, Branson, Missouri.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the year after I was in it. They oh, okay. Actually, we we were on the first year of the se- the first season they did it. We toured, so we were on tour the whole summer and went up into Canada and all over the U.S. and played you know, all these big venues. We went to Tanglewood and Carnegie oh, Hall wow. and Ravinia. And we flew out and did the Hollywood Bowl. You know, we, we were like all over the place. And then the second year that they had that activity, that, that performance group, they they went to Branson. So they, they spent the whole summer in Missouri. Oh,
0: they were there the whole summer? Oh, the, yeah. They were
2: there. Yeah, they were like, a, you know, like a stage show for the whole summer. So we got to see like all these, right. you know, we were like... Town to town, you know all all the big venues, right. and they kind of had to stay put. I don't know; it was probably awesome for them, but um, I was glad I did it. When yeah, did it.
0: they were at the Andy Williams Theater the whole.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've never been to Branson, but you know I'm sure it's a nice place. Yeah,
0: I grew up near there, so yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. So you've been teaching. Well, I was looking through your bio, and you've been to a bunch of different places. So I guess let's talk about your college experience. So you, um decided to study percussion in college.
2: Right, yeah. Well, actually, I was a psychology mm. major for a year. I I started down that path. And then, uh, you know, kind of through, I guess, by the second semester, I kind of ran into enough people that were involved in the music School of Music at Eastern Kentucky University, where I now teach. <clears throat> they kind of persuaded me, hey, you, you're in the wrong field, man. You need to be a musician. You need to be a music major So i got asked to play in concerts and you know it was kind of being brought in as a ringer for things so i figured out oh, what the hell i I made a mistake <laughs> thinking that i could kind of move away from music yeah. and i just got some bad advice is all it was you know i was uh, somebody kind of led me to believe that all i could do with a music degree was be a you know middle school or high school band director and that's not what i wanted to do yeah. so <clears throat> so that that scared me away from it for a little bit but i finally I finally got some some wise uh, information, some some good feedback from, you know, other other musicians and also some of the university professors. So. Um, so, yeah, so I changed over to music and, you know, I was there for I got a music education degree um, moved to Miami University in Ohio. And uh, there was really a great experience to kind of branch out into some other world percussion Um um, that I hadn't had any training, in. like you know, they had a steel band, and they had a a person from Africa come in, uh, a gentleman named Pascal Young. He would come in as a guest artist and teach a bunch of Ghanaian drumming and singing and dancing. And they had a <clears throat> uh, you know, they had a, some taiko drums and things like that too. So I started to kind of wet my whistle, so to speak, on in some of those areas, and. Finished my master's degree there, and then went to West Virginia University, which I don't know if you know. They have a a pretty um, a pretty large world music program, and um, this guy Phil Faini, who was the percussionist, the percussion teacher there for a number of years, and later became the dean. He uh, he was really um, kind of a, he had a vision to kind of bring world percussion and world music to West Virginia University. So he hired people like, um, Ellie Minette, who Ellie Minette was the first guy who built a steel drum out of a 55 gallon Mm -hmm. barrel, He brought him to Morgantown, West Virginia. He started making pans. Mm -hmm. Um, so they started a university tuning project there. He went to Indonesia and bought a bunch of gamelan instruments. They have a full Javanese and Balinese gamelan at the university. And they were bringing Mantle Hood and Made Hood in to teach. Um, They had taiko drums built and, you know, and were brought and shipped over and they had people coming in and doing workshops. So steel band. um, What else? Uh, The, the gentleman who was teaching the African music at Miami university actually was in residency at, West Virginia university. So they had like all these like heavy, heavy world percussionists there teaching. So that, that definitely interests me when I, uh, when I finished up at Miami, I was like, yeah, this is the next stop for me. And I need to, I need to go up there and, and see what else I can learn. So.
0: In a program like that, do they teach also kind of the cultural aspects of, of the German well?
2: Yeah, they do. They, they had some classes that were kind of set up, um, um, as I guess a supplement, you know, they had a African music theory class yeah. and there were some other, um, <clears throat> there was some, some other like independent study things you could sign up for. And also some, some, uh, seminars that dealt with, you know, world music and different elements of world music and, and, uh, and the cultures that they belong to, but it was more, it's less, you could get a degree actually in, in, in world percussion. And unlike a, an ethno degree, you know, most of the credits, it was a very performance-based right. kind of degree. Right. So you weren't writing, you know, lots of papers or, or books or, you know, you had, you had a research project then a dissertation. So it was more really just focused on you learning uh, the performance right. aspects of these things. Gotcha. <clears throat> and that was, really, that was really my first experience with Brazilian percussion was at West Virginia University we put together a little batucato cool. thing uh, for a couple of concerts. So yeah. And that's, um, that was my musical training. And then as soon as I was ready to finish up the degree at West Virginia university, this job opened up where I am now at Eastern Kentucky, uh, where I was, you know, doing my undergrad, I had been gone for five years at that point and uh, the job opened up. So I went and auditioned and applied and, won the position so 20 years later here.
0: yeah very cool um I'm just curious with a world percussion program do they teach you is it mostly like techniques and things like that or is it um do they also teach you things like where like the cultural significance of certain rhythms and how it fits into society and things like that
2: Oh, oh yeah, sure. I mean, those those things were all discussed in the you know, in the context of the class. So, for instance, like, you know, if we have a, we're having a taiko, we're working up a taiko piece for for a concert. You know, they'll we'll have like a couple sessions beforehand, just saying, okay, well, this is where this tradition comes from. You know, these are the different types of drums. These are the different ethnic groups that, you know, kind of practice this. Here's, you know, this is Kodo. This is group you should know. They live on this island and, you know, and then here's some of the traditional rhythms that they're taught. Here's some festival music. You know, there, there was some explanation of, of kind of the, the uh, cultural aspects of the music as well. It's just not like they just threw, you know, music in front of you and you started to try and replicate this this art form.
0: Gotcha. There was gotcha. some,
2: you know, there was some intention um, behind the, the teaching to actually educate you as to the context of music and, and whatnot, so right on. But ultimately, I mean, it was a performance-driven particip- you know, class participation. Got it.
0: Yeah, got it. So when you, I see in your bio that you went to um, some European countries. To, was that to study percussion as well? In Switzerland and Holland?
2: Uh, no, I just was. I was just uh, going to gig. Yeah. And gotcha. I, oh, gotcha. So I filled in for um for the the blast group that we were talking about earlier. They had Mm -hmm. kind of split their personnel between two different performances, so I was called in to be a ringer for that. Um, And then in Holland, um, I went over and actually judged some marching band competition. Oh, cool! A couple times, so
0: right on. Um, so tell me about your program there at Eastern Kentucky University. Um you you guys have a do you guys have a batucada class or is a samba reggae thing or is it a little bit of both what's your now, brazilian side there
2: So my my uh my responsibility there is is uh, as an applied teacher i have about 16 to 18 students that are in my studio so i i teach them uh individually every week i have a percussion ensemble which meets 3 times a week for 50 minutes and i have um what I'll call a world percussion class, but it's more steel band than anything that's mm. on Wednesday nights. <clears throat> and then that's the class where we'll kind of weave in some other, um, some other types of arrangements. Like we'll do some in like an Indian transcription or we'll do some Batucada or we'll do some, an African piece. I, I built a bunch of Jills, you know, a couple uh, summers ago so like we'll try to do some fusion things in there where we'll use you know steel pan with african drums with brazilian drums and mix in keyboard percussion and you know all the western percussion instruments so just try to find ways to to create unique compositions in that class and then the um i also have um some teaching that i do for an online class of music 171 which is our music appreciation um, I usually have a couple of graduate students that I teach in pedagogy and and also literature too. And then I help out with a world um, world music supplement to our music history class. That's kind of the 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 uh, snapshot of my teaching load there.
0: and you also are part of a <clears throat> music foster music camp.
2: Right. Yeah. So every summer we um, <clears throat> in June, we have a three week music camp on campus. The first week is middle school students, and it's usually over three. It's between three and four hundred students come in for that. And it's mostly band, but I do teach some percussion. Uh, I would have percussion ensemble with those students as well. Typically about 15 middle school students uh, in percussion that week. And then we have a two-week high school camp that follows um, the middle school camp. And the first week of that high school camp is my world percussion um, camp. So oh, that's cool. I have steel pans set up, and we, we learn a couple steel pan tunes. We do an African drumming and dance piece, a te- always do a Brazilian piece, mainly a batucada. And so, uh, you know, there's typically about 30 students that attend that. We cap it at 30, so and it's every once in a while we'll let an extra one or two in but we have a lot of those instruments I don't have I don't have a lot enough stuff to do like maraca too or anything like that but I've got a ton of batacata instruments so um, we typically will do that and then some kind of a fusion percussion ensemble piece where we kind of combine a bunch of things so
0: how do you take a high school kid in a week and teach them because they probably don't I'm assuming they don't have a lot of of (laughs) exposure to hand drumming and get them to play a you know west african yeah it's ensemble. tough that's amazing i, I
2: definitely I, I definitely earned my money that week <laughs> so we we start we start on uh you know it's five days and then we do a concert on saturday we we start i start teaching monday morning so you know some of them have no exposure to any of these things i'm showing them so they're learning yeah. where the notes are on the steel pans they're, you know, learning right. about hand drum techniques, they're learning, you know, all the things that you need to know to kind of just approach the instrument and get a characteristic sound. So we're rehearsing, you know, usually starting about 8.30 to noon, and they come back at about 1.30, we go like 1.30 to 5. And we do that for five days. So it's it's pretty intensive. You know, yeah. they're, and I just try to shuffle around. I, I do, you know, kind of, I have an assistant which helps in a big way because we can split the group up and kind of do sectional work and, or, you know, take some of the ones that are struggling to another place and kind of work with them individually. But yeah, it's, it's always a challenge, but you know, the kids love it and they always put on a great show. I I mean, I, I've heard from many people, you know, that this is like the, the highlight of the week. The highlight of the camp is that world percussion concert and these kids just really shine. And, um, yeah, they can do a lot when they're put when they put their their time and effort into it. You know.
0: Yeah, and they can have that much time. I mean, like the <clears throat> several hours a day that helps.
2: Yeah, yeah, they're rehearsing. You know, six six to six and a half hours per day, so it, it adds up.
0: Yeah, does it beat up their hands? It's gotta be. Yeah, up their hands.
2: <laughs> and their and their brains it's gotta be rough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, at about you know about four o'clock they all get that kind of glazed over look.
0: Like, yeah,
2: every, and and uh, I do too. So yeah, you know, we are all working in there. Yeah, but, that's uh, Yeah, you know, trying to show some of the harder techniques, like you know, I'm talking about battucada specifically. You know, just just sh- you know, for some of them, just playing the cerdo on beat two is like blow in their mind. So, you know, it takes a little bit of time to, and not to, you know, downplay the cerdo because the cerdo is awesome. you got to have somebody solid on that instrument. So, but you know, you've, you've really, it takes a day or two to really figure out what the kids, you know, to kind of, I guess, um, rank and rate, you know, the, the kids and, uh, and I shouldn't say kids, the students, the young musicians, to get them kind of positioned in a way that they can contribute um, you know, in a positive way. So, you know, there's some shuffling that happens people may move around from instrument to instrument a couple of times until we finally just find a place that it really, it's really working, you know?
0: Yeah, that's cool. Um, I want to talk to you about, you make your own drums. Um, Mm. have you made steel pan drums?
2: You know, I've never made one from start to finish. I've started quite a few. I, um, You know, I may have to, I may have to, um, add that to the list.
0: So is it, I've got a question about like, is, is the actual, like the, you know, you've got the drum, like the barrel, the, Mm. what would you call it? The shell side, right. And that's just sort of cut to size, but then Mm -hmm. is the actual part you're hitting like on the, I don't know what you would call that, the the head of it how it, they're tuned it's like, the top
2: the top of the barrel is is, is it literally the
0: top of the barrel or is it yeah. something else no stuck no it. it's
2: the top of wow. the barrel i mean traditionally you know you're taking a five, 55 gallon barrel right, and right. you're going to sink it first so you're going to before you cut it to size or anything you're just going to sink the thing unless you what know you you,
0: what do you mean well,
2: sink it? sink it is you're going to make a bowl out of the flat top
0: Oh, oh, so, so
2: you're basically going to be using like a 10 pound sledgehammer, or oh, uh, what they used to use, is they they use a bowling ball too. You know, they could like or a bowling ball, a cannonball. You get a cannonball, stand over the thing, and just like throw it, you know, at the top of the sure. drum just until pick up
0: it's a cannonball anywhere. Yeah, just, where do you get just, a cannonball?
2: You find them laying around all over the place, I guess, in Trinidad,
0: right? Okay. No, but you know.
2: 10 <laughs> pound sledgehammer is kind of the, the tool of choice and it's a wow. workout. It is a type my you know, mind and body workout to sink this thing. Earplugs. And, you know, not just to sink it, but to make it look even, you know, and, and like a nice spherical right. you know, half sphere or whatever. Nice. You know, a nice aesthetic looking bowl, not one with a bunch of dings and dents and random places.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's
2: done. That's step one, right? And then, depending on what kind of drum you're making, what instrument you're making, you're either going to have a single barrel to make a tenor pan or a lead pan, or you're going to have multiple barrels to make the some of the, the lower range instruments. Right, right. And then you figure out which one you want to build, and then you find your template, and you start putting the notes, drawing the notes into the shape, into the bowl. And then, you know, it gets, there's lots of steps.
0: but So are they banging it then for the note parts, the little bul- bulbs? I actually played in the steel pan band when I was in college for like a semester, but I don't know. I never learned how they made them, but they, do they go on the inside of the drum then and then bang them out the other way to make the little bump?
2: Exactly. So it's, it's a concave bowl with convex notes. Right. Yeah. And then they tighten up the, the kind of the. The perimeter of that note you know they can tune the harmonics within uh, within that specific note by kind of targeting certain areas on the note so you want to get the the first octave harmonic then you want to like try to tune the fifth in on the sides of the shape of the note it gets really it's That's not it's I'm not easy
0: about. yeah yeah it's so super, they have like a pattern that they generally work from so they kind of roughly make the con Vex parts and then kind of tune from there somehow
2: well yeah i mean if you're making if you're a builder a pan builder and tuner like i don't know if you know emily limmerman have you ever met emily Mm-mm. she's she's an was an awesome samba for a while but she's she's one of my friends and kind of learned from ellie uh the guy i mentioned before oh, okay. <clears throat> but you know she she definitely has her own method of kind of you know her patterns that she uses for her drums that she builds, she has templates. She'll lay those on, on the pan. Once it's sunk, she'll get the notes kind of etched in or scored in depending on how, how that's done. And then, um, yeah. And then she probably has her own method of, okay, if I'm going to build a set of triple guitars, you know, I'm going to start with this drum and maybe try to get this note tuned in first. And then I go to this note, then this note, you know, she's, she's got, she definitely has a sequence of, uh, of events that she follows. I'm sure just like if you're building a guitar or a clarinet or anything like that, you know, there's, there's kind of a sequence that
0: sure, you sure. it's just crazy that it works. Yeah.
2: yeah. It's magic. It's got,
0: like really ethereal sound out of, out of it, that somebody yeah. figured that out, you know,
2: and, and just through trial and error, you know, and it's, it's, that's the amazing part. You know, it's like, you've got just, yeah. these are kids. These are kids that are, on this island in trinidad you know like stealing barrels or borrowing barrels i should say from the u.s navy um and and just like you know doing everything they can to make this thing sing and you know okay this doesn't work throw that out look at it we're going to try it this way this time you know let's put let's put d over here next to f the next time because this f is like so dead i want to grab some of this this other note around it. I don't know. It's, it's amazing to me the just the, the thought process and kind of the, yeah. the sweat equity that was poured into that instrument.
0: Totally. To figure, to figure it out, to come up with that and actually make yeah. notes out of it. And also not be deaf by the end of the process of making a set. Oh God.
2: Yeah. Hearing <laughs> protection. You gotta have it. <laughs>
0: yeah. I was
2: That's actually, nice. I was, ac- <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that earlier because I have a little wood shop, behind the house i was i'm actually making a drum making an instrument for a friend of mine in california and he wanted a he's i'm building him an egyptian tambourine it's called a rick and uh this thing has like 20 jingles on it you know it's like it's five double double rows so i i bought all these blanks i'm out there with my little anvil and my hammer today like the most (laughs) it's it's the most like uh boring job is like to hammer out 20 jingles because each one takes about 10 minutes to hammer you're just hammering and hammering and hammering, and hand, hammering them out. hand hammering all these jingles and getting them look to look nice and you know kind of evenly shaped and
0: what are you making um, them out of what do you start with
2: well I found this company called copper lab online uh-huh. and they've got some different sized blanks that you can buy I made i was gonna make um, uh, they probably have some other metals that they sell, but, um, I know, I know you can get brass or, you know, yeah whatever. Um, but yeah, I found this copper lab site and I got the two and the three eighths inch jingles and they have some the larger ones and then some smaller ones. And I just basically, they're, I think they're 16 ounce, um, or 16 gauge. I'm not sure if it was ounces or gauge, but anyway, just, Find the center, drill a hole, put the thing on the anvil, and start beating it. Crazy. And uh, flip it over a couple times to get you a little, uh, you know, create a little uh, bell or nipple mm-hmm. in the middle of the of the jingle, and kind of, you know, get your shoulder kind of nicely shaped on the outside, just to make it rigid. And um, it's wild just how much you know the sound changes from from just all those impacts. Hmm. It's the same way of tuning a steel drum. You know?
0: Yeah. Or like when they do cymbals.
2: Right. It's the same technique. I mean, much easier than building a cymbal. But...
0: Tiny, tiny little cymbals. Mm-hmm.
2: hmm Yeah. But yeah, so um, no, I haven't made a steel drum. I've actually sunk a few steel drums, and I've tried tuning a few notes. That's about as far into it as I got. My main medium is is wood. I love building stuff with wood, so...
0: Yeah, you made a hipiki more out of wood.
2: Mm-hmm. That was cool. Yeah, I've got a been getting into some smaller drums here lately. It takes a little bit more precision and time crafting them, but it's I, you, I enjoy it.
0: You do mostly staves, right? You don't bend,
2: right? I don't have any bending equipment, so I've just been messing around with with different stave uh, kind of construction stuff, and I've gotten pretty good at it. Actually, it's I got us, um, this instrument i was just talking about i got the shell really thin and it's it's super solid even though you know it's stave construction you think it might fall apart if it's not very thick but um clamps you got to have good clamps Mm. clamp that thing as hard as you can while it's while the glue is wet and and uh once you sand it and get it all shaped up it looks like one solid piece of wood
0: how does how does it work for bending wood? Is it steam? Is that right?
2: Yeah, they usually you know you're using veneers, so you're steaming like really thin pieces and then um, and then gluing them together into some kind of a mold. Um, or you can I know there's depending on how big the steamer or how big the piece of wood is. I mean, you can actually steam bend a pretty thick piece of wood if you've got the the right equipment to do it. But I don't have any of that stuff, so. Um, yeah,
0: how would you even? Is it like putting it in a pot, like letting it sit and steam for a no, while? No, it's and- like
2: it's like a little, uh, it's like a little sauna that they put it in. You know, it's like a, <laughs> like a compartment, and they'll okay. slide the, they'll slide the wood into there and shut the door, and then it just gotcha. like sits in there and steams. And when you're ready, when it's you know ready to to, to bend, you take it out and put it in whatever kind of form you want to bend it to.
0: Gotcha. Or clamp like a smoker. It.
2: Exactly. Yeah. It looks like a smoker.
0: Yeah. Huh, <clears> cool. <throat> what other drums have you made? Um, Did you make some or something?
2: I made some uh, some uh, some Jun drums or Dun Dun drums, however you want to say it. They're from Guinea. So the, they have the Ken Kenney and the oh, sangban yeah. and the huh? and the, uh, Dun Dunba, the, the Dun Dun. So I made some of those and um, I, don't, I made a a bunch of different things, a couple snare drums, cajones. I, I just made a, um, a box drum, like a cajon, but it has a skin front on it. It's called the Gome drum from Ghana. And uh, yeah, I don't watch a lot of TV. That's kind of what I do, just to relax, go out right and play with the, play with the saws.
0: <laughs> nice. Um, I have a question for you about the Percussive Arts Society. Yeah. You've been involved with that there in Mm -hmm. Kentucky?
2: Yeah, I've. um, Well, we have a state chapter of that organization. You know, Percussive Arts Society has been around uh, for, I guess, since the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And. it's a great organization, you know. It, it uh, they have a national they have an international convention every year. It brings in thousands of people. Have you ever been to the pace I've never
0: been. I almost went last year, but wasn't able to make it.
2: Yeah, it's it seems more often than not it's in Indianapolis nowadays because yeah. they move their headquarters. PAS move their headquarters to Indy, um, but occasionally they'll they'll move it out more west, you know, to try to help out some of the people on the west coast a little bit mm-hmm. with travel but yeah it's it's a great organization um you know they bring in artists and host concerts and clinics and master classes um using artists from all over the world and they have a you know huge um, uh, area where vendors can come in and kind of sell instruments and show new product and and that kind of thing like a nam you know but just for percussion yeah and uh yeah and we have a state chapter that i've been a part of since so. Sort of teaching. Um, I've been the president. I'm currently the treasurer, so I get to balance the books. But um...
0: so, would you say? I I think that for this podcast, a lot of the people that listen to it—not everyone, obviously—but a lot of them are are people who've just sort of picked up percussion on the fly. Maybe they Mm. joined their, you know, local community group or whatever, and they don't really know about the Percussive Arts Society. Which I think the Percussive Arts Society has been more of a band orchestra would you say kind of focused thing but they seem to be branching out some into more more um i think i think they
2: pretty much cover the broad spectrum of percussion um you know there are a lot of educators um who are members of the of the organization just go to pas.org um they've got you know uh, access to online research. You can be uh, kind of just an e-membership level and, and pay a, a small fee and you get access to all this stuff on their website. And uh, they have a monthly periodical that they publish. And it's, it's really, um, they cover almost all aspects of percussion in some way, shape or form. You know, they have different committees that that meet during the convention to kind of plan the next year's convention and invite artists. And they, they do a pretty good job of trying to get um, artists and, Performing groups in, um, you know, uh, from all the different areas of percussion you can imagine, whether it's orchestral or some, uh, you know, they've got a, a, you know, they had in um, uh, maybe like a Giovanni Hidalgo or, you know, somebody like that, Afro-Cuban guy Michael Spiro has been a number of times. Too. Sure, sure. um And then I think they-
0: Marcus Santos is on some board there. He's yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. Um, Yeah, Marcos, he's played there a number of times to see Marcos there. So, um, yeah, they, they actually have quite a bit of world percussion and uh, Brazilian percussion, African percussion, steel bands, Latin groups, along with the orchestral stuff and the, you know, the hotshot marimba players. And
0: um, right, right.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, there's something for everybody, I think.
0: Yeah. I think it's something that maybe a lot of people who listen to this podcast might not know about unless mm-hmm. they're involved in education. Yeah, check it
2: out. PAS.org. You'll find a ton of stuff there. No matter what your interests are, I'm sure you'll find something to to um, you know, spend some hours going down the rabbit hole. Oh, for sure.
0: Definitely. Um, being a professional, what is your do you have any tips for people on how to get uh, students to practice. I think your students are probably more motivated to practice than maybe <laughs> some people. But do you have any tips? Um, well,
2: I think just trying to find a way to inspire our students is is something that I'm I'm always thinking about. So uh, exposure, you know, exposure to great recordings. Um, they need to listen to a lot of music. They need to, you know, watch documentaries. They need to find good videos, you know, fortunately, there's a ton of ways to learn and to get good instruction on online now. So um, I I send my students to different uh, websites to to have them check things out. Um, Obviously, I, I have a meeting with each one of them every week. So I can kind of check on their progress and kind of lean in if, if they're not quite, you know, holding up their end of the bargain. Um, but yeah, I think motivation comes through inspiration a lot of times and yeah. you want students to, you know, you want that to be kind of an internalized um, thing with the student. You don't want, I don't want to keep hounding them to, to practice that needs to come from them. Totally. So, you know, just finding a way to connect um, them to something that's interesting to them and to uh, just feed into that.
0: What keeps you uh, going? What keeps you inspired to to be, keep going?
2: Well, you know, I've, I like to do a number of things. Um, I, I have being a percussionist, being a professional percussionist and, and a college teacher, I have to wear a lot of hats. So, um, it can be daunting, you know, having to kind of keep all of these skill sets up, um, and any moment's notice, you know, I could be asked to, you know, play drum set or vibraphone or something on steel right. pan or marimba or, that, right. you know, play these congas or pick up this, you know, whatever drum and play it for, for a class or for performance. So, um, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like what inspires me and what keeps me going was, it's probably just having um, a lot of different um a lot of different instruments to to speak through you know just having mm-hmm. having a lot of things at my beck and call where i can i can sit down like i i walk into my studio i'm sitting here in my studio you know i've got a a vibraphone a steel pan i've got a cajon i've got a drum set i've got a piano i've got a couple of cavaquinhos a couple of didgeridoos i've got a um a timbal i've got a a goombri, I've got a shakeray, I've got a Doombeck, You know, I could walk in here and just like get lost. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I just love being—I I just love making music on a lot of different instruments. So that's inspiring to me—is to have have a means to do that.
0: Awesome. Do you have a soundproof room?
2: <laughs> I wish. <laughs> it's pretty. It's it's not too bad. Uh, I can't throw down a drum set. In the middle of the night, we'll just put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> right I could on. do some. I could do some. You know, I could play pan down here. I can, I can uh play guitar, vibraphone. It's not going to mess mess with him. Me. It's the drum set that really drives everybody nuts. Yeah. So I gotta wait. I gotta wait for everybody to be out of the house for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. What's been one of your happiest moments playing this music on this, on this uh, path of doing percussion for your whole life? What's been one of your most memorable moments? Most
2: memorable. Hmm. I don't know. There's so many, there's so many uh, great, great experiences that I've had just collaborating with people. And I tell you just recently, I mean, going and participating at the CBC was really enjoyable to me because I had you know I'd been to Brazil several times I even had a study trip there for a while organized a study trip for a couple years but I hadn't had any like hands-on training with like some real badass you know Brazilian percussionists in a while so it was great to like get in there and be able to play cavaquinho and learn from you know somebody like Ronaldo and you know Mm -hmm. do the batacada and all it was just a lot of fun and just a really cool environment and good hang and really nice people. So that, that was a great experience. And, and it's, you know, it's made me think a lot about, uh, you know, bringing some other artists in here uh, yeah. to EKU to share some things with my students, maybe even coming back to the participate in the camp again and taking some students with me and, um, and Brazilian music, you know, actually has, is opened a lot of doors for me. You know, it, I'm not, I'm not a professional Brazilian percussionist by any means, but I feel like I've, I've done at least a small part in helping to spread Brazilian music to some other, some other students, obviously, but other, other parts of the country and other, other parts of the world. So I had um, actually had a workshop in St. Lucia for a number of years um, where huh. I taught Brazilian percussion along with uh, Andy Narrell, who was teaching steel pan. And uh, we kind of teamed up and and had a an annual steel pan and Brazilian percussion workshop there on the island in January. And to be able to, they they wanted to do this, so they wired some money up to me. I I'm a Pearl guy. I'm endorsed by Pearl as a as an educational artist. So I got in contact with Pearl. go so Samba wasn't up up and running yet, so I would have come to you, but. <laughs> oh. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, they send some some funds my way and we were able to purchase a bunch of drums. And I flew down there with some students and um, taught taught them a workshop for the week and uh, and also played with their steel, their steel band for their panorama, which is their their annual competition. And they have it in July in St. Saint, in Saint Lucia. So um, so I had the drums down there and then that kind of opened the door for the the um, for the workshop to start uh, the following January. And we did it for three years in a row. I'd taken a little hiatus from it this, this past January. I I took a a break and then I'm going to go back down there again next year.
0: Cool. A lot of, um, teachers have a hard time, like, um, getting to Brazil camp because, um, you know, their semester has started by the time it, it runs. How did you work that out? Well, I,
2: you know, it is an issue. It is an issue. I've been looking at that camp for a number of years and you know, I just I always thought, Oh, I can never make that work. It's the first week of school. You know, even just just yeah. to go one week, you know, it's that that first yeah. week is the first week of school. So
0: a lot of people have that have that. Yeah. Yeah. Or just or they have student, you know, they have kids, I mean, that um, mm-hmm. you know, start school and they just can't necessarily be away.
2: I just finally decided, hey, I'm I've gotta do this. So I luckily i've got a really cool boss and um and he i said i'll organize everything you know everything i'll give this have the students i have graduate students so they can pass out syllabi the first week i've got you know lessons kind of material for them to start digging into and and he said yeah just organize everything and uh go do it so it was nice they they even gave me some pd money to come out there Participate, so
0: yeah, it'd be kind of like continuing education, right? For someone like yeah, you. you, you
2: you get a you get a small a small amount uh, from the school of music. Most you know most uni- universities have this. You get a small amount of professional development money every year that you can tap into to go to conventions or workshops or whatever. So this is no different from that.
0: Yeah, very cool.
2: Yeah, but uh, is there so.
0: Oh, go ahead. Well,
2: I was just gonna say the other the other project that I got into which which uh, recently has been a lot of fun is I'm teaching um, some students in India on Friday mornings. I've, yeah. got, I've got a buddy who I've known for about 20 years now that um, I took tabla lessons from back in the day. And uh, he is back and he was doing a lot of back and forth traveling um, gigging. Uh, music, you know, doing musical gigs, but also he um, had kind of a side business where he was consulting with students who wanted to come to the US to get their MBAs. So he's like a, he was kind of like an academic um, counselor, if you will, in India. And anyway, he's back in India now full time and he is, he started this project called Leap. And uh, Leap is a bunch of young, um, uh, Indian students who are using music uh, as a way to kind of empower themselves and and others, and uh, they've formed this really incredible little uh, um, choir. You know, I shouldn't say little. There's like a hundred students in the in the full program, but about thirty of those kids I teach on Friday mornings, and he wanted me to do some Brazilian music with them. So you know, I play a little cavaquinho and sing some and. Uh, he said, "You know, could you teach him a few Brazilian songs?" And I said, "Yeah, we we could do that." So um, I um, I sent them the lyrics to Leva Mel Samba. No, we did Trai Das Onze first. We did Trai Das Onze. So I sent them Trai Das Onze and uh, the lyrics, and I sent a couple of YouTube clips, and then we got online, and I spent about an hour and fifteen minutes, kind of, you know, talking through the lyrics and pronunciation, and then teaching them the melody and I sent them a backtrack, you know, of Cavaquino and some, some light percussions so they could practice the song. And like within a week, they had already made a music video of the whole group singing and dancing to this song and, and sent it back to me. So I was like, wow, I gotta, I need to like up my game here because they're just like, you know, they're really digesting this stuff quickly. That's
0: so fast. Yeah, you sent me that, um, that video. That was really cute.
2: Yeah, that's like five days. You know, that's like, one hour a one hour session with them and then five days of them practicing and they've they're already you know making music videos so it's pretty cool how did
0: how did you deal with the latency did you have trouble with that i guess it's not maybe as important when you're doing a choir type class a little
2: bit i mean we were just having them sing individually i had uh, my friend trini he was kind of uh, acting as the moderator so you know, he knows all of them by name. Um, I couldn't see all of their faces because there's so many of them, on, you know, so many tiles on the screen. Each
0: have a different computer, right? Yeah.
2: So he, um, yeah, so he was on the call or on the, you know, the video conference also. And I would sing the line, you know, um, sing the first verse or whatever. And then he would say, okay, you know, so-and-so, try to sing that back. So we just okay. kind of went round robin with all the kids, as many as possible, got through the tune and then I sent them, you know, a track of me singing and playing and then just a track of the, the accompaniment so they could sing practicing over it. And yeah, it's worked great.
0: And then they came up with that video just from, <laughs> yeah, just put
2: the, I, you know, oh, just out of the blue. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool. It was so cool. So They're working on um, Leva Meal Samba this, this uh, week. So we'll see what they did with it on Friday. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to share?
2: Um, no, I mean, not, not that I can think of, you know, I, I think one thing that was really interesting to me um, and I hadn't really thought of it too much beforehand, but um, just talking about the CBC again, you know, I was really impressed at how many people came out from the different organizations to, to, you know, to take part in the, uh, in in the experience there. Like, you know, you had a big contingency from, from Austin Samba and you had, you know, Mm. people from up in Seattle. And, um, it just made me think about, you know, there's something that we don't have in this part of the, of the U S we don't really have any Samba schools, um, any any, you know, um, any groups like that where we can not only attract, you know, music, majors and, and music students but also just community people that want to you know have an interest yeah. in learning yeah. and uh you know I, I think that was really cool it was really neat to see all those people coming down and kind of and that's their professional development you know they take all of that information back to share with their groups and their respective groups so um i think it's something that that i might try to want to you know find out a little bit more about i need to talk to like lee you know i know you interviewed lee uh who i met um, in, mm-hmm. in August, just talk to them about, you know, the ins and outs of starting a group like that. And, and what are some like of the a community hurdles.
0: Like a a community group. Yeah, right.
2: exactly. Yeah. Just awesome. something outside of the university. Cause I mean, I've, yeah. I've been doing that for so long and it's, a, it's such a, you know, it's a smaller pool of, of people. Um, I think, you know, I'd be really neat to have some, something like that in central Kentucky.
0: Yeah. You know, it's one reason why I wanted to talk to you because there's, there's so, there's not a lot going on in the Midwest. As far as um, yeah, like you said, uh, community samba, yeah, happening. So um, it's, there's there's several, a few, you know, school programs, a mm-hmm. couple of um, you know, something in Chicago with Reed, um, mm-hmm. and uh, Nashville there with Zachary, um, he's got a group going um, samba Nashville, but um, yeah, there's not a lot. Yeah, in the so Midwest. I don't know,
2: I don't know about samba Nashville. I need to check in, into that. Yeah, they're closer, closer to, to the you, audience. I think,
0: than anybody. Yeah. Yeah, that's
2: still three and a half hours from me, but but yeah, it's closer. Yeah.
0: He's a contemporanea endorsed um educator there okay. at the high school or middle school or high school. I can't remember. We interviewed him too. Okay. Um so you can check that out. But. what's his name? Zachary Heimelho. I'll give you the okay. connection. Yeah. Yeah. I need to get into it. Yeah, with he's him. a great guy. Doing a lot of good things down there in the public school system and also in his uh community group there.
2: Yeah. That's he great. has different
0: challenges. It's interesting, different challenges um, running a community group in Nashville that most of his, you know, people in his community group are professional musicians. So they all have gigs that they get paid, you know, yeah. they're working nights or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which is, or, you know, Friday, Saturday nights. So um, he can't take a lot of gigs for his community group because right. they're already working, yeah. you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're, it's interesting challenges that the rest of us don't necessarily hmm deal with
2: you know there's a Shoro group also in memphis you heard about that oh really
0: no yeah
2: um what's the trio the brazilian trio with their dad it's the three sisters and their dad short
0: das just trace
2: yeah Shoro das trace so they um i guess they were there they i guess this organization is memphis Shoro, this i don't think Shoro memphis or memphis Shoro. I, I think huh. it's something like that but They've got a they've got a small you know group of, of musicians there that are you know doing some good things and they brought uh, Choro das Três in for concert and to kind of collaborate with some cool. with them for some workshops. So I mean we do have some things you know somewhat closer than uh, than coming out to the West Coast, but you know nothing and nothing in Central Kentucky, nothing in Kentucky at all that I know of any kind of um, community groups. So, might be something. You would
0: think that Louisville would be a good place. It's kind of artsy. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of interesting young people doing cool things in Louisville. You'd think that would be a place. Yeah. Or something could get going.
2: Right. Exactly. But
0: just just takes that one crazy person. It does. It does. (laughs) They're gonna do it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think it'd be really cool. That that might be my next venture. We'll see.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and
2: how, how everything with uh, I know you guys are locked down like the rest of us, but hopefully, oh, yeah, you've uh, you're still getting some business with with Go Samba and
0: we'll see what happens. Um, maybe when people get their stimulus checks, it'll
2: yeah. You never know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it'll spike. We'll see. Well, we'll I just
2: see. I think it's great to have you as a resource here. Oh, in thank the US you, and, and uh, I'll, I'll continue to send some people your way when they're. Oh, I, I appreciate
0: things. that. Yeah, you you've sent several people my way. Every time I hear from somebody in the Midwest, I'm like, that's got to be Jason. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll keep plugging I mean, for you. It's okay. Yeah. Maybe you can send
2: yeah. me a t-shirt or something sometime.
0: Yeah, I will. I will. <laughs> I've been thinking, god, I got to send that guy a thank you card or something cuz like this is pretty awesome. <laughs> well, yeah. that's yeah. great. What no, size was, what size do you wear?
2: Um, uh, XL. XL. Okay. I'm, I'm a little huskier now with this uh this, uh, With this social isolation, yeah.
0: I know. I think we all are.
2: So we'll see. My
0: ice cream intake has definitely gone up. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I had <laughs> mine for the day already. So, yeah. Ice cream and beer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of drinking happening, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And
2: No problem. And- Thanks for having me. It was great talking to you.
0: So i hope you guys enjoyed that episode with jason you can um find out more about him on our website at the Beats.com and we'll have links to all of his um you know about his program at the university and social media stuff and
1: and his bio on our website so go check it out there um so we'd like to give a couple shout outs today um Our first one is to uh, Dave, Mr. Herding Cats in uh, Northern California. (laughs) Hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. He's a great. um, Senor Herding Cats. He's a great fan and a really good supporter of the podcast. And uh, he sent Courtney and I something this week, and we really appreciate uh, that kind of uh, gesture. So thanks, Dave.
0: We also have a shout out to Sylvia. She's helped us this week with an, with um, translation for an interview. And more. Coming out
1: soon. Uh-huh. And hopefully more interviews to come.
0: Oh, yeah. And more interviews to come. Uh,
1: yeah. You're a rock star. Thanks, Sylvia. So it seems that people have been asking about um, California Brazil Camp. And right now, everything's on hold. Um, as Courtney mentioned to me before, the planet is canceled. <laughs> um, we don't know that Brazil Camp is camp- canceled just yet, but um, for now, registration is on hold. You know, we need to get our world back to normal before we can really go out and do things. So um, if we have to wait, we wait. But there's, we're always going to have our Brazil Camp family
0: Uh, thanks to all our new listeners out there hello thank you for joining us and uh, please rate us on Apple Podcasts that does actually help our um, podcast get seen by more people or like whatever your media player is please um, give us a five star rating on there Um, you can see pictures of our guests and find out more information about them and about us at uh, thebrazilianbeat.com please email us if you have suggestions for the show thebrazilianbeat at gmail.com uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, other social medias. Diana's on TikTok.
1: I'm not on TikTok. I like watching TikToks, <laughs> but I'm not on TikTok per se. <laughs> There's some right. funny videos out there. <laughs> uh, we're also on Instagram. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? And we do love hearing from you guys. We get um, occasional messages on Facebook and and emails and it's always great to hear from you and get your feedback so please don't uh, hold back <laughs> send us messages we'd love to hear from you yeah if you have suggestions for the podcast how we can make it better
0: we're open let us know all we'll right. talk to you guys later thanks for listening good night ciao